1: Kyle Krabs here host of locked on NFL scouting join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position by position analysis of the upcoming NFL draft check out the locked on NFL scouting podcast with the draft dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts
2: time for some all 22 takeaways including what the defense did to adjust in the second half how the offense bounced back and well Mike has a hot take on the Bengals linebacker room a little bit that we'll let him defend on today's episode of Locked on Bengals.
1: You are Locked on Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: What up Bengals fans and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I'm your host Jake Lisko, joined today by Mike Santagata who you can find on Twitter at Bengals underscore sands for all sorts of great film clips highlighting various things that we're going to talk about in this episode and that you can find in his writing over at allbengals.com. Locked Lockdown Bengals is part of the On Podcast Network, your team every day, free and available everywhere you get your podcasts and on YouTube. So, If you're new to this podcast as the Bengals make their playoff push, hit the subscribe button on YouTube. Hit the follow button on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. We're delivered to your devices every day, and you can join the First Listen Club with many other Bengals fans out there that make Locked On Bengals their first listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by Ultimate Football GM, and if you've ever dreamed of being an NFL GM, this game is for you. You can manage a franchise by downloading the app, either by going to ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the app store, and you're going to get a 100% free boost to your franchise using promo code LOCKEDON in all caps in the game. Mike, we're going to get into some All-22 takeaways today, and we're going to start, of course, with that Bengals second-half defense. Yesterday, and if you missed yesterday's episode, we talked about this quite a bit. I pointed out the stark splits in some of the normal generic old school yards per play yards per attempt touchdowns allowed first downs allowed stats you go further you go look at epa the bengals defense also better by epa per play in the second half in this game in particular the difference is easily observable to the naked eye on tape on film on tv copy the bengals got after Tom Brady in the second half, creating a lot of turnovers and generally thwarting an offense that scored 17 points, looking pretty efficient against them. In the first half, there was some conversation from Lou Anaruma about pressing the corners a little bit more in the second half, but Sam Hubbard gets hurt. Cam Taylor-Brick gets hurt. Despite all that, the Bengals managed what they managed in the second half. What were the big adjustments from what you could tell, the big differences from a, a game plan perspective in the second half?
0: There's a few, and I, Lou Henry was right. The, early on, I think the first play they pressed, but after that, it was all off. And they're trying all these safety rotations, a lot of trying to get Jesse Bates into the robber position, maybe get something so they could take away the middle of the field in the intermediate area. They know that, you know, Tampa Bay, Briar, Byron Leftwich from Bruce Arians so are like these deep shots, and they've got Mike Evans, they've got Chris Godwin, they got some weapons that can run. So they're playing a little bit off. They're just saying, like, you're not going to beat us deep. And buccaneers really didn't other than a busted coverage uh but they were just slicing and dicing and this mm-hmm. goes back to one of the seahawks defensive coordinators for the legion of boom i remember listening to him in a clinic and he said there's only been one quarterback who's ever been high-fiving and pumping his fist for checkdowns and that was tom brady because he's the only one that doesn't care about getting six yard gains the whole way down the field it's kind of what it was it was just like he's just gonna keep taking it mm-hmm. um Not a lot of quarterbacks do that. I know that it's efficient. Not even coaches stay like that into getting these shorter gains, but they start pressing a little bit. I think uh, they got more pressure. There's always a luck factor too. You got to remember that, you know, uh, there's a strip sack, which not lucky per se, like they forced it to happen but for that to happen in the second half on a sack. And then also there was just a fumbled handoff of mm-hmm. that too. So like that drives up these EPA numbers and everything else for the second half. But I do think that this process changed, especially uh, after Hubbard goes out and it was actually before halftime. I uh, won't call it a halftime adjustment, but I remember it was like the two minute drill and they started pressing a lot. And I noticed that as a specific change, so they started getting a little bit more pressure on Brady. I think Eli Apple called it, get him tap dancing, <laughs> uh, start pressing, not being a, afraid of the deep ball, not being afraid of, you know, getting beat over the top. Like we're, we got to stick to these guys. And uh, they got a little bit, got a little interesting too. I want to say also they didn't send true man free or zero blitzes in the second half. They did that in the first half. And it felt like, At first, I thought the linebackers bit really hard on play action because I think both times they did it were play action plays. But then I look back, I'm like, no, these guys are triggering on the snap, not on the play fake. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they are vacating that area, which the Buccaneers took advantage of. So a little bit less like true zero blitzes. They sent weird pressures, but it would be like creepers, um, simulated pressures, and uh, a little bit more aggressive from their corners and stuff to – play physical man-to-man coverage, especially also when they probably noticed on the other end that Tampa Bay was allowed to play real physical.
2: Yeah, and we saw that in the Super Bowl last year as well where in-play in, in play penalties were so sparse even though both teams were playing really physical, especially in the secondary. And another part of it is Tom Brady, you talk about his willingness to get the ball out and take these short throws. seemed like to me, He was very aware, as you would expect for Tom Brady, who's been around doing it at a high level for a really long time. He was very aware of, okay, that's the defensive end that dropped into coverage. That might be a tight window, but he's not closing that window. He doesn't usually play coverage, and he's paid to play in the trenches. So I can fit a ball in there, no problem. It felt like that was more common in the first half, and further disrupting the timing where you're – You've got a quarterback who likes to get the ball out quickly, likes to get the ball out on time, disrupt the timing, change the picture, doing it in different ways than necessarily you've put on tape or than Tom Brady's necessarily anticipating in a certain play. Like the Trey Flowers interception, for example, comes from a blitz look. They drop everybody out into a drop eight. And it turns out that, as I joked on Twitter, uh, dropping eight is the key to stopping all good quarterbacks. Even Joe Burrow, I think, on a third and very long, to be fair, almost to an interception when Tampa dropped eight in this game.
0: It just constricts windows uh, when you're truly dropping eight, not just having a spy. Uh, you're, you've got another guy just on the field. You just think of resource management where you normally have seven guys back there occupying those spaces. Now you have eight. You just get more bodies in these spaces and it gets to constrict the windows. And Brady's going for in the flat and uh, Trey Flowers is playing curl flat and he I think it's a curl round actually I think it's a curl flat combination it could be wrong Uh, but he goes to throw the flat because he sees Flowers drop back a little bit into the curl window but Flowers doesn't have to really bail out of there as hard and because the other linebacker is able to squeeze over on that flat just a little bit more Brady's throw a little bit more outside. Flowers makes a great break and picks him off. And that is one of those plays that when you get Tom Brady, it's just, you know, got to write that one down, save that that tape. I want to say that there was another – the other difference is after Sam Hubbard went out, a lot more stunts. Mm -hmm. And I think this has been noted, but they were running not just like TEs, you know, techs, ETs, any of that stuff. But they started running three-man games and stuff. They started – they did this once before, but they started using a little bit more a package with four D linemen. Logan Wilson head up over the center,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then that's how they got the strip sack. Was yep. it was a three man three man stunt there? Two guys go inside, he wraps all the way around. When it's a defensive tackle, that's a pirate. I don't know the exact terminology for a linebacker doing it, but we'll call it a pirate because uh, it's a cool name. But maybe it's a buccaneer in the spirit <laughs> of the Bengals' opponent. Uh- That's great. Yeah, they ran a Buccaneers stunt of sorts. Uh, But yeah, Wilson does a really good job on that to fake one way, go all the way, wrap around, unblocked. And that is just something they were trying to stress these Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive linemen's just technique and physical abilities in the first half. And it wasn't really working that well, even though some of these guys were backups. So then you start stressing their mental and communication abilities. And I felt like that worked much better. That's also what Joseph Osai's uh, sack came on was a stunt. Yeah, and Well, I, not sack, but, you know, force the, the wobbler, the, Pratt picks it off. Right, Even better than the sack.
2: <laughs> I feel like somebody associated with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers mentioned that they were twisting a lot more in the second half, stunting a lot more in the second half. And I don't recall who it was, but it certainly has, as you mentioned, been noticed in Lou Anarimo again consistently. Maybe it's not necessarily strictly halftime, but like the offense has in many games, figuring it out as the game goes, finding different answers. And we've talked about it a lot. The continuity on this team gives them the ability to confidently change it up on a play-to-play basis and do all these different things. And that's a lot like what the Bengals are going to see, in my opinion, from Bill Belichick's defense, which also prides itself on versatility and the ability to do a lot of different things. At a high level and this offense didn't necessarily get off to the hottest start and we've talked about it a little bit uh, Mike as we do and maybe this is a bit to do with the offensive line so we will have to talk about what went wrong for the offense early and how it got corrected in just a minute but today's episode is brought to you by ultimate football GM and like I mentioned if you've ever dreamed of being an NFL general manager managing your own franchise. Well, this is a game for you. You will manage every strategic aspect of your, of your team and play through the season. can lead your team to glory by hiring the right coaches, the right coordinators, the right personnel staff, the right uh, sports psychologist. It's that detailed by making trades and playing the market. You can try it all at Ultimate Football, GM. You get a 100% free boost to your franchise right now using promo code LOCKED ON, one word in all caps in the game store. That's locked on in the in game store in all caps. So you can check it out today for that boost. To download the game, just visit ultimate-gm.com or look it up on the App Store. That's ultimate-gm.com or in the App Store for Ultimate GM, where you can start your dynasty today. Today's episode of Locked On Bengals is also brought to you by Audible, releasing a slate of new football podcasts you're going to love. And there's a new episode of the league available as bonus content on the Locked On NFL stream right now. It's narrated by Super Bowl champion and legendary smack talker Richard Sherman and sports broadcaster Taylor Rooks, part of a docu series about the most bizarre, inspirational, and unlikely stories connected to America's favorite sport and your favorite sport listening to this podcast, Pro Football. Their untold Stories, spanning from the 1940s to the present and the bonus episode about the way of the Cowboy, W-E-I, the incredible story of how the 1977 Dallas Cowboys brought in Bruce Lee's protege to teach their defense martial arts, changing the way NFL players train to this day. Each story offers equal parts history, entertainment, and social commentary. So you can head over to the Locked On NFL podcast for a bonus episode of the league or catch a full series wherever you get your podcast available now. Audible, get in the game. All right, Mike, let's talk offense a little bit. First drive looked great. Everything seemed to work on the first scripted drive of the game until uh, defensive back gets sucked up a little bit by a play-action fake. Starts to drop back into a window. Sorry, not a play-action fake. It's a run-action on an RPO. Realizes the ball isn't going to be handed off on an RPO. Understands where Jamar Chase is, and probably a film study thing, and seeing Joe Burrow's eyes, knows that the pass part of the option is potentially a little slant or a glance, potentially. I'm not sure what exactly it was to Jamar Chase. And gets in the window, bats the ball up in the air. Carlton Davis... Behind Jamar Chase, able to redirect to the pass. It gets deflected behind Jamar Chase, way up in the air, gets the interception. And then things kind of go off the rails for three straight three and outs for different reasons, and a lot of it to do with untimely sacks. What was going wrong with the Bengals' offense early, in your opinion, that changed later in the game? Or was it as simple as, well, now you have short fields and everything. It's a little bit easier. You don't have to sustain it quite as much.
0: Yeah, always gotta have the caveat like <laughs> it's a little easier on offense when you're when you only gotta go 20 yards, 25 yards, 30 yards to score touchdowns. But I do think that there were changes. I mean, you're talking about that RPO, the glance RPO there. It was, it was split zone action. Um, and he's triggering down because you get the run fake. You also get low hats when you run RPOs, not high hats. High hats still happens on uh play action. That's just a way that you're supposed to be able to tell as second and third level defenders. Are, that's just, is the offensive lineman pass setting up high or is he down low trying to move guys run blocking? Just something simple like that. But uh, he comes up, he just gets his hands up because it feels like everybody just knows, get your hands up <laughs> when you're playing at angles. Cause Burrow gets the ball out so quick. Uh, you're not going to get home. Just get your hands up. So when he sees him pull the pin on the grenade, go to throw it, gets his hands up tipped. This, I was worried when that happened that they just stopped running RPOs, but they didn't, they kept with it. They started running more access, little screens, hitches, Mm -hmm. speed outs, just all these different types of RPOs that were working to the outside. They just said like, okay, if you're going to tip the stuff over the middle, he can still throw it to the outside. You won't get anything on it because it's further away and not as many bodies. So they start going with that a little bit more because they trust their outside weapons to win on those. And, you know, it's an access. If the guy's off, throw it. It's easy. <laughs> I also think uh, – I thought the pass blocking was poor, but Burrow took his sacks in the first half, and those kill drives. Mm-hmm. So you've got limited opportunities because the Bucks' offense was doing so well, taking up so much clock that you know they have drives killed – of at least one drive killed by a sack. They have the pick, and now you're talking kind of small sample size. These drives didn't work. One worked at the end, all that quick – drop back two-minute drill stuff that worked but you know small sample size something goes wrong drive doesn't work out uh but i do think that they changed some stuff just a lot of that access rpo and running their rpos to the outside more than the inside and uh also think that guys start winning a little bit more in the second half you know jamar chase felt like he did more damage in that second half and he had the short fields so all that contributes into why the offense was so much better in that second half. Uh, not all changes, but there were changes that were significant too.
2: Yeah. And something that we'll need to watch is as we talked about in the first segment, the the physicality of the Bucks corners, sometimes it gets called and we've seen it get called and, and then teams will back off of it a little bit. And you've seen the Bengals get those calls this year. There were some egregious stuff in this game. I think we can all agree. The Jamar Chase jersey tug that takes away a touchdown. The Jamar Chase face mask that takes away a touchdown. Both of those really good throws, good enough from Jamar Chase to go win the route and score touchdowns on those plays. I I think that there's no question that some of these Should be called but other times they let you play a little bit more physically and it's not quite so blatant and like you're out of the play you're beat and sometimes it's just they let you be a little bit more physical outside of the five yard area. And that was also happening in this game. Is this something that the Bengals receivers need to change their approach for in your opinion given that this has happened a few times and and sometimes it can cause problems for them or what's your takeaway when when you watch that happen in this game.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think a little bit maybe, but it is just kind of their nature. You can't really change their nature to, to me. The, Jamar Chase, as he has always been, is a guy that wants. You know, if you're going to meet him with physicality, he's going to meet you. The lock horns. He's a bull. <laughs> he's going to you know try to charge through it. And sometimes that's great. You know, he just runs right through contact and gets through a guy. But sometimes you get a guy like Carlton Davis, who's been around this league. He's a physical corner. He likes doing this, and they're letting him get away with it. So. He's able to lock horns and meet him a little bit. Uh, Chase still won plenty on those opportunities. It's not like Davis shut him out in man coverage, but you know it is why Davis had a good game is because they let him play and Chase tried to match his physicality and they just awesome matchup to watch. But maybe you want just a tiny bit more, not on the release so much. It wasn't these jams that were really killing Chase. It would be they they keep holding, grabbing, pushing, whatnot rerouting as he's getting down the field, six, seven, eight yards. And then he starts turning it into like, I'm pushing you back because you're putting hands on me. And maybe you think you could change that a little bit, but I do think it is just kind of the nature of it. Maybe this is a way teams are going to try to attack the Bengals. If it becomes a serious issue going forward, maybe you got just kind of go like, you know, (laughs) they're letting them get away with that. It's not cool, but maybe swipe and or rip and get past them that way. Instead of trying to meet him, Uh, strength for strength i don't know if it's a huge issue in general but it is something that i've seen a few times this isn't the first time that the Bengals receivers missed a few opportunities because they're locking horns with the defensive backs rather than uh trying to just get by them i think it's fun i think uh it is i'd rather have too much dog in my receivers than not enough where a little a little tap sends him out of bounds and he's just looking around for a flag i'd rather he meets him I'm not getting thrown out of bounds. You're getting thrown out of bounds. Type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe just a tiny bit less, just like try to reel them back just a tiny bit when they're letting them get away with everything. Could
2: be a learning curve thing. Still a young player learning the veteran tricks of the game. And he's pretty good at some of them already, honestly, like he's got a pretty good subtle little push off at the top of routes. It's never going to get called. And, Rarely gets called, I should say. I got a couple more notes on the offense, Mike, that I'd like to get your thoughts on, including Joe Burrow being forced into being a bit of a half-field read quarterback in this game, having issues getting through all of his progressions, not because of Joe Burrow's play necessarily, but looks like he was sped up a little bit within reasonable bounds this week, and the run game really didn't get going against Tampa Bay. So let's make sure we hit on that as well before we get to your linebacker hot take, and we'll finish the show there in just a minute. Today's episode of Lockdown Bengals is brought to you by Total Wine and & More and this holiday you can find what you love at Total Wine & More with so many great bottles to choose from it's easy to find a great new single barrel single barrel bourbon or the perfect gift for everyone on your list from a friendly guide and with the confidence of knowing you found something special for the lowest price. Love what you find. Only a Total Wine and more, where curbside pickup and delivery is available in most areas. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia or North Carolina. Drink responsibly. B21.
1: If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast.
2: Mike, before we get to the Jermaine Pratt praise conversation, and rightly so, the guy's on an absolute tear right now, playing great this season. Uh, First half, looked like Joe Burrow, you know, standing in the pocket a little bit at times, doesn't get to his first or second read, the, the high lows or what have you on the same side of the field. Doesn't have time to get to his second read the rest of the game, maybe not the entire rest of the game but a lot in this game. It looks like he's pretty sped up, not in the way that he was sped up earlier this year, where we're talking about to his detriment, he's he's getting rid of the ball way too early or fleeing the pocket when he shouldn't be uh, fleeing the pocket, but in a way that, you know, he just had to be a little bit faster in this game. In a lot of instances, we talked about the offensive line, not having a great game. Did that change as the game went on though, as the offense started working a little bit later in the game?
0: Yeah, I think early on, uh, really, the offensive line was at its worst it's been in a little while. What was that? <laughs> uh, but um, the run blocking never caught on. I think yeah. that Joe Mixon and Samaj P. Ryan made it work, but really they didn't win up front in the run blocking. I thought most – I would say at least three, maybe even four of the guys had pretty good pass blocking days. Law Collins is kind of the – Odd man out. He gave up the sack on uh the one play. And I think that's also a little bit why Burrow is sped up because Collins is getting beat a lot and he gets sacked as he tries to get back across the field. So you're talking about these half field sped up reads a little bit. It's because Collins got killed and he's on the ground and he's getting sacked and Burrow's getting sacked by the time he wants to get back over there. So unless mm-hmm. they ran something more like six, seven, one time I think it was eight man protection. Yeah, the touchdown, right? Yeah. Uh, so six, seven, eight man protection, you know, max protect stuff. Then he's not trying to get back across the field. He's just, all right, we've got a, you know, a dragon slant flat concept here. I'm reading slant flat. If it's not there I hitting the sit route, I'm not trying to get back to the other side of the field, or even when it's intermediate concepts where you got sail, I'm not getting to the backside dig because I don't have time. And you don't want to hear that, but there's ways around it. And Collins can play better. He's played better this year. So I don't think it was bad. I think Burrow played all right. And, considering he was sped up and how the offensive line played, I'd consider it pretty good performance, especially didn't have any real. He had the one pick he should have thrown, but he also on the pick he threw, shouldn't have thrown a pick because it Mm -hmm. just bounced up. So I thought he played all right, all things considered, but he was sped up a little bit because the offensive line had a, a bad day at the office, specifically the right tackle.
2: Yeah. Between the, the, the other weird thing was the, uh, 23 yard sack that didn't count because of the holding penalty and after having seen the the wide version of that play he definitely did not see no. that flag and was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt there I don't even think he saw Jamar Chase get held I think by the time Jamar Chase is held by Levante David on that play his back is to the line of scrimmage already and he's running backwards so that was a weird one for him but despite some of the imperfect play for Joe Burrow in this game he still had plenty of really great throws so don't want it to sound like we're saying he had a bad game necessarily. I think it was still pretty good. The touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd was far hash, pretty impressive. I mean, that's absolutely perfect ball placement there. He dropped two in the bucket to Jamar Chase and we talked about that neither was caught due to should-have-been penalties. So still a, a really good game for Joe Burrow. Just wanted to talk about some of those, some of those imperfect moments because it's interesting to, to hear about the why. For some of those and it's a bit disappointing also i would say that the run game didn't get going without vita vea without barrett with a lot of backups out there i know levante david and devin white were still playing and devin white had a great game um but i thought that this was a game where they would be able to run the ball a little bit better than they did and that uh, certainly was not the case but without further ado mike we teased it at the top of the show we teased it a couple times you tweeted that you think Jermaine Pratt is the best linebacker on the Cincinnati Bengals right now. So I understand why you would say that, but I'm just going to give you the the floor to talk about why that is. And, and given the common conventional wisdom is that Logan Wilson is, is the guy and is the linebacker of the future on this team.
0: Okay, I'll say that the Bengals don't agree with because they're pulling him off the field for Davis Gaither at times. Uh, and I think they do just plan on Wilson's a linebacker of the future. Pratt, you're having an awesome season, but we need to worry about next year. Uh, but look, I'm not the only one that thinks this. When you look at the PFF grades, it's 81.6 for Jermaine Pratt, 70.9 for Logan Wilson. And I consider Logan Wilson's last year to be a really good year, but that was 53.9 for PFF. So they didn't consider it a great year. Um, I think Wilson's awesome too. This is just, he's awesome. He's really smart. He's a Awesome communicator, leader of the defense, good tackler, good in coverage. One of the captain chaoses of the defense to create turnovers. I just think what Pratt's doing is unprecedented. Uh, maybe not that far, but you know, it's the, this is the best linebacker play that I've seen from the Bengals in quite some time. I know that's not a high bar for some, but um, he's playing like top eight linebacker in the league somewhere around there i wouldn't say like top three like a fred warner but he's up there and they ask him to do certain things that are really difficult and i almost think like he used to have these weaknesses to his game spot dropping he didn't have a great feel what he did against the panthers was he spot dropped, melted with the quarterback's eyes you know moving as the quarterback's reading when he pulls a pin on the grenade he breaks gets an interception 20 yards downfield when he's playing a weak hook like that's 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 really good stuff um, when you further talk about this coverage stuff now that Pratt's kind of shorted that up 71 passer rating against in coverage according to pro football reference Logan Wilson 91 uh Pratt less yards per per attempt he's just yeah you know, yards per target I mean um but he's doing a better job in coverage I think that's important I think they're about the same in the run game Pratt's a little bit worse getting off blocks but I do think the way he scrapes at the football and forces those turnovers is a bit more important than just being able to tackle a guy, even if he's Wilson gets him more often and misses less tackles. Although I almost, it's, a, it's always incredible to me when somebody makes Pratt miss a tackle, because he just mm-hmm. looks so strong on those bear hugs. Uh, this is really just a flavor thing a little bit too. You know, I prefer the Pratt type that can man and match more than uh, he's getting better at spot drop zone than Wilson, and there's just one wart to Wilson's game. I, as incredibly smart as he is, I feel like he's not in two teams taking advantage. Now, the Bucs took advantage of it and the Chiefs took advantage of it. This is actually why I bothered tweeting it. There's You could take advantage of him in one specific way. Defensive coordinators or offensive coordinators for other teams, you know, turn the pot off. But <laughs> when, when they have a running back run straight to the flat and they give him some garbage to try to run through, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get there. And the Buccaneers were able to do it to him and Jarek McKinnon got a touchdown off of doing this. Mm -hmm. It's usually something like running back on the quarterback's right, receivers to the left, the receivers are all running across the field like a just a big pile to try to, you know, traffic to weave through, and he's just not as athletic as Pratt because Pratt a little bit faster, a little bit more athletic, and that's why he's like more their man-match guy. When they play like cover one hole, Wilson's in the hole, Pratt's in man. Then I think that's by design. So that's just – a hundred reasons why I think Pratt is a slightly better linebacker, but I will say Wilson's awesome. I think both these linebackers are awesome. This is a top three linebacker duo in the league. And they're probably the only one to not have a top three guy. That's just mm-hmm. also has a really good guy next to him. Like these are just both extremely good linebackers, probably both like top 10 or so. I don't know. Just yeah. spitballing. <laughs>
2: Really complimentary football between the two of them too. You mentioned yes. the the spot drop versus the man and match capabilities of Jermaine Pratt, the ability to to get off of blocks versus get through traffic, the athleticism versus the, the true linebacker pedigree where Jermaine Pratt was a safety in college and, and transitioned and is finally uh, finding his way as a consistent down-to-down impact player, especially in the last six, seven games or so. Um, I get it. I'm not going to really argue one way or another. I think they both do pretty different jobs. I will say this. I don't necessarily agree with taking Pratt off the field for Akeem Davis Gaither in some of those situations. I just don't know right now what Davis Gaither does better than Pratt. I think maybe Davis Gaither is a better blitzer. I think that he has more experience as a pass rusher going back to his days at Appalachian state. Um, But you know, you talk about the coverage stuff. This comes so comes such a far away for Pratt this year, and where Davis Gaither is maybe a little bit more athletic. Does that really show up in coverage from from a practical standpoint? The way that Pratt is playing this year, I'm not sure that it really does. I, I totally understand if you want to keep just one linebacker on the field, and you're going with nickel, or you're going with quarter, or or penny, or whatever you whatever it is. Where you have extra defensive backs out there with one linebacker. You want to keep Wilson on the field there? I get that. I, I understand that part of it, but uh, I also understand why Pratt, when he when he tweeted what he tweeted was after he came off the field quite a bit, I think, for Keem Davis-Gaither against Cleveland uh, in Week 14. So we'll see how they use these personnel groups going forward. sounds like forgot to mention this at the top of the show, and I don't know who's still listening, but if you are still listening around the 31-minute mark, sounds like Trey Hendrickson has a chance to play this week and – We'll dive into the injuries a little bit more tomorrow uh, as we get to our first look at the New England Patriots. Hopefully we'll have a second day's injury report by then. Not sure we will, but if you are still listening, Trey Hendrickson, Mike Hilton, Hayden Hurst, and Cam Taylor Britt all did practice in a limited capacity at the Tuesday walkthrough in the bubble. So there's some hope for all of those guys at this point. We'll see how the week goes. There. And like I said, we'll talk about it a little bit more tomorrow. Uh Zach Taylor's probably wrapping up his media availability right now, about 7 p.m. Eastern time, as we finish recording this episode. So we'll have some more information for you coming up tomorrow. So until then, when we cross over with the New England Patriots Locked On Patriots podcast, go find Mike on Twitter, like I said, at Bengals underscore sands. If you're watching on YouTube, it's right there on the screen. Find us work at com as well. And we'll be back tomorrow. James Rapine will be back with us as well as we do our crossover. So until then, Bengals fans, thanks for listening to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hootay, and have a good one.
1: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Lockdown NFL Draft Podcast.